Hi, folks. Welcome to another edition of Tom Foodery. We are going to talk about uh, the events of the day, just like the radio show. Tom, this is a big day for you. It's April Fool's Day. It's always been a big day. It's uh, always been a big day for me, and uh, it is for a lot of other people, too, who uh, read the things that they find in there and wonder who could have possibly have written it and kept a sane mind. Uh, but it is uh, something that I've been doing with my listeners on the radio since going back uh, pretty close to 85, 1985. And when the food show, the current iteration of the food show, you've always had it? From the very beginning, like 31 years? Yeah, oh, at least that much. I always had a kick uh, over taking your uh, uh, slippery things and throwing you back on your back, <laughs> you know, and, and silly things like that, too. Not, S- none of it uh, harmful. So you were doing this before you started the food show? You were doing it at your other radio gigs? I might have overstated it, but in, the high, in high school I was. I was constantly doing that. On April Fool, you did a thing in high school, all the way back to high school. So you've been yeah. big into April Fool way back when? Way back to, you know, uh, uh, okay, so I have to do the addition, but uh, yeah, about 20, 25. Well, it would be more like 45 years. But uh, you have had some really extensive April Fool jokes. One of them is in nomenu.com today or... Um, Okay. Well, anyway, you've really uh, had a lot of response. What is the most response or most amusing comment you've ever gotten from anyone having to do with your April Fool thing? Uh, this one, you, you're going to have a hard time believing that somebody believed this off the, the top anyway. But uh, you might remember, if you've been around long enough, uh, that we had a world cha- uh a world, um, uh, 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 the, yeah, and it was the the world, the world exposition, which had been going on in New Orleans starting in 1984, uh, had a lot of good effects on the city. Uh, we had a lot of uh, new uh, things that, that we ran into. One of them being a much much better world uh, event. What does that have to do with April Fool's? Well, because uh, people started hearing about these jokes that get uh, talk, uh, talked about, and uh, a lot of those were me. And what I would do is just come up with something that looked or heard almost uh, plausible, but if you thought about it for even a couple of minutes or more, sometimes you would see it had to be a complete fraud. And uh, my favorite of all time, and the one that I keep getting uh, people calling me and telling me what about this, uh, I told people that uh, there, that gondola that was a, a rope, basically, that started on one side of the Mississippi River and ended on the other side. And there were people who wanted to have uh, a little, uh, one of those cans you see, and you they they can just go floating. Yeah, gondola. I mean, gondola. They called it a gondola. It, it's um, y- yes. The, they string along on a cable, and they're um, yes. That's right. So uh, what we had there was something that sold for a thousand dollars, and what you would get for it is uh, oh, this was the joke because I was about joke. to say I don't think it was a thousand dollars. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it, it was de- very definitely a joke, uh, but the, the the what was being presented was this rope 
big cable rope goes from one side of the Mississippi River and ends on the other side. And what happened was you would show up at your time when you're res- part of the reservation, and you would uh, be put in this little gondola, and they would swing it over to the other side of the Mississippi River, and they sat down, and they would go back and forth depending on how uh, well you wanted it. Now, because I have this gourmet thing, uh, what I uh, was always asking for is, uh, how about we have, you know, an appetizer on their side, we come back, have the soup of the day, and go back to the other side, and then start getting seafood, and then we go back to the other side again, going back and forth, back and forth, all day long, and for, for thousands of dollars, Nobody actually went for it. Nobody. It didn't cost anybody anyway, although some people really felt like idiots to go for it. I didn't mean to do that, but it was something that came out in at times. And it was uh, it was really funny. We, we and every now and then to this day, I would get, I will get a call or a read a letter from someone who's saying, uh, you know, I you know that that business that you have about going across the lake? I said, I sure do. And I had to explain it to them again. This is not for real. This is something you just got stuck on you. That was that was almost 40 years ago. Are people still talking about that? Uh, I, I get them every now and then. Uh, Pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, for people who are not familiar with what Tom is talking about, it was the 1984 World's Fair and there was a gondola on a cable that went across the Mississippi River. Tom, that was 1984. That was long before the before the radio show started. So where were you able to put that out? Did you put that on no menu or did you have a radio game? No, yeah, uh, we uh, that that wasn't um, it, basically how we did it. It just happened. Well, I mean, you didn't have as wide an audience as you did, I think, on the food show. So where well, did you right. get that out? Well, uh we just I kept on doing it, and people, again, I tell you, they keep telling me about it as if to believe that it was for real. Well, that is a good one. I think that the one that um, that I liked the most, I mean, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to them, but um, there was one that you had about that on the causeway where you had the turnaround. That was, that was another one. <laughs> Very. That was a famous one. And uh, it if you listen to it, it would sound absolutely plausible. Well, I to a lot of people. I was about to say I don't. I never did think any of them were all that plausible, but apparently the they they were good enough. But they were something, and that was kind of a trademark of yours. And uh, mm-hmm. so happy, happy Tom feast day today, April the first. You know what? Uh, you know what came to be in 1928 on this day, Tom? No, tell me. I would know. Yeah, uh, Bozo started. Bozo started on this day. Yeah, I guess his father. Yeah, yeah, that would be about right. But he, uh, both of the uh, Bozo guys, both of them passed away at a very surprisingly long uh, life stamp. Well, Bozo's, uh, again, for people who are not familiar with it, Bozo's was a beloved Metairie restaurant with a very long tenure. And it goes back to the days of gambling and speakeasies and all of that. 
And uh, it just closed at the end of, I would say, what was it? it did it make it past Katrina? Uh, yeah, I think it did. Um, with the the joke itself for it. No, 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 no. This is uh, Bozo's. I'm going to read right out of your almanac. Bozo's, the best fried seafood restaurant in town, opened today in 1928. Chris Bozo Vodanovic was one of many Croatians who created great restaurants in New Orleans in the 1900s. That would have been his father or grandfather. He relied on his connections with the fishermen in Plaquemines Parish to supply him with first-class oysters and other seafood. Bozo's did become legendary, always packed with people waiting for the simple but meticulously fried and boiled seafood. Seafood. Bozo's son, also named Chris, continued that attention detail until he sold it last year so i don't know what year this was it's the only restaurant you know that uses wild-caught catfish not so anymore there's definitely been a resurgence in wild-caught catfish but that was uh that was the premier seafood that was really the great stuff back in the day yeah they were very very uh devoted to put out a great product they always did too yeah uh i think that his granddaughter uh, it's, or was it his niece? His niece, Kathy, has KGs in Mandeville, and she sticks to that kind of attention to detail that he did. That's true. That was another side of it. And then, believe it or not, there was yet another one, and uh, this came from the, uh, the part of their family uh, had branches uh, on the North Shore for one, and yeah, KGs. And and Mr. Eds took over the location on 22nd Street. And the reason that he jumped on that property was that he used to go to Bozo's as a boy with his father, who was a bookie. And he had fond memories of trailing along his father. And, and that's how he got to know Bozo's, the place. I think that's probably true because they got into horse racing a lot. Uh, Bozo and his his uh, dad and his... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's how Mr. Ed, whose dad was a bookie, yeah. used to go. If you were to walk up to him in any way, you'd just have to love the guy. They, they really... Who, Chris? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that because I didn't want anybody to get the idea that I'm beating him. Oh, no, no. They were lovely people. His wife, Bernie, and Chris, I remember Bernie at the at the window there. They kept the window and when it was, and when it became uh, Mr. Ed's, they kind of kept the blueprint there. I don't know if the window is still there. I don't remember. The window? Yeah, the window where Miss Bernie used to sit as the checkout lady. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah she was pretty, uh, uh, pretty intense. She was adorable. She was an adorable lady. Anyway, uh, the, I, like late 90s. Yeah. Late 90s. Um, the, one thing that I have to say about Bozo's that I never did like, and it would be hard to think of something, but I didn't, I didn't care for his gumbo. His gumbo was a hodgepodge of absolutely everything imaginable, and I just, I don't know, I think you ought to pick it. Chicken gumbo, seafood gumbo, not everything in the same pot. You are not the only one who feels that way. And what mainly they were looking for is that they had actually two completely different gumbos. One of them was a seafood gumbo that had, you know, uh, some French stuff and they would have some uh, from, from anywhere they could think of. Uh, but they also 
uh, had a gumbo that was made with uh, a sausage and a few other things along those lines, and they didn't really look or sound or taste. No, it was all together, Tom. They had okra, they had chicken, sausage, shrimp, oysters. It was like they took two pots of gumbo and dumped them all together, and that was the gumbo. Yeah, and they never would tell uh, the recipe on that. They they were asked all the time for the for the uh, one with the sausage, but he never well, would give it to them. Then I guess a lot of people did like it. I mean, it was it was there for as long as I ever went there, and I'm sure long before that. But I just always would think, why is all of this together? But that was the only complaint I had. the The catfish was mind bogglingly good. Served with a little tartar sauce and pickles and cornmeal, right? It was just cornmeal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very, very light coating, and uh, they always did it to order. Chris, he was always right out in front, right in the kitchen. Uh, You weren't going to wait for that to get cold on you, ever. It was always just excitingly delicious. And he he had a particular rule that he never fried anything in the same pot. So in other words, you had the fish pot, you had the oyster pot, you had the shrimp pot, you had the french fry pot, but there was never any crossing over from one to the other, right? Yes, there was a lot of that, very, very uh, much so. They were on on top of everything. It was really crispy and really delicious and much missed. And although, just speaking for myself, I do love Mr. Ed's. Uh, Bozo's was one of a kind, and will the likes of which will never be seen again. That is true, uh, and that's exactly what we used to say. Those exact words. Wow! Yeah, I mean, I must have read your mind. Tom, uh, today is also National Sourdough Bread Day. Do you like sourdough? Uh, I do in some circumstances, and in other circumstances, I find them too heavy and too dry. Right now, we're in a pretty good uh, station of of bread these days. Well, there's Belgarde, and that's not sourdough, but it's got that same intense, dense crumb to it. I love sourdough. It might be my favorite kind of bread. And every time I think about the whole sourdough starter thing. I get grossed out, but I still eat it every chance I get. When I go out west, I love to have it at breakfast with with um, toast, you know, sourdough, just plain sourdough toast. I think uh, my favorite sourdough ever might be tartine out in San Francisco mm-hmm. and now in Los That's Angeles. That, that, pr- that big building they have where they bring in these massive really beautiful uh, uh, loaves of bread that were just fantastic. I, I thought it was good. Yeah, that was Tartine Manufactory that we went to, which is in a neighborhood that could kindly be called gentrifying. Um, the Belgard people in town make that same kind of really, really intense, seriously hard to chew and cut bread, which you say is too intense for your teeth. But um, but I do love it. Uh, uh, who did you get that idea from? Yeah, it was from me. I'm, yeah, you said I don't I have the teeth for that. Heavy for me. I, I, it, it, but people who love it, really love it. That's me. Okay, well, you can have mine. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's extraordinarily good. There's also a, a bread that I want to 
try. I don't know when traveling will be allowed again, but I did not make it to uh, Poilen in Paris, and they have a really great sourdough starter kind of bread. It's also that just really, really dense crumb, which I, I absolutely want to try for sure. So Tom, Levin is the leavening agent for bread. This is in your edible dictionary for today. Do you know what that is? Do you know what you wrote about it? The wine is what it means. I don't know if that's what you're trying to say. No, you're talking about vin, V-I-N. I'm talking about levin. Levin. Is that like uh, Lenfant's uh, by the uh, (laughs) cemetery? No, I don't think so. It is a leavening agent for bread dough made by the action of living, multiplying yeasts on a small amount of flour and water. It creates what's also known as a mother sponge or sourdough starter. This is added to a batch of dough. Some of the dough is then returned to the Levant to feed it. By doing this, a Levant can live for many years. I find this concept so gross. The advantages of using it instead of commercial yeast is that it gives a much more interesting flavor to the resulting bread. Levins are popular in rustic French bakeries like Poilin and among enthusiastic amateur bakers. It's widely believed that the best levain comes from yeast just captured from the air by a mixture of flour and water left out in an open window. Yeah, fascinating. I, I prefer not to think about the inner workings of sourdough. Well, that's life. You know, I got a book once. Uh, it was a, the author of a book uh, who was writing about all of these things, about the, particularly the rising and the yeasts that you put it in. And uh, he was on the show once. Uh, he had a unique uh, name. I, if, I wish I could remember it. But uh, anyhow, uh, we did a program. Uh, with him, and you can't exactly do loaves of French bread uh, and expect anybody to be able to pay attention to it. But they uh, they did a, a nice job uh, with it, and I walked away knowing uh, after that quite a bit more knowledge of uh, of making breads. And, and you probably my daughter, who is a baker on, on her own right. Uh, she she can tell you anything you'd want to know. There's it's an it's not just an art. It's a, it's a, a it's science. a committed lifestyle. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. It is a cause for people. If you are a bread baker, it is a it is a, an emotional commitment. It is. She doesn't do bread. No. Mary Lee does not do bread. I want to try. I want to try a. Um, no, well, she did biscuits, but biscuits and bread are hardly the same thing. Biscuits are one thing that take 15 minutes, and bread is a commitment. I'm definitely uh, going to try something from the Poilin book. Um, I want to try uh, pandemie. Anyway, um, the Old Kitchen Sage says, Tom, if you make a good levain, you are even you are ever more committed to taking care of it for the rest of your life, or you are not a true bread baker. Yeah, you don't listen to that uh, for the rest of your life. That's how you have to live your life. Yeah, uh, enslaved to some dough. Hey, that's right. <laughs> but happily so, because because bread bakers really are quite happily committed to it. Yeah, and it's it's easy enough to do, and it's very. You know, you, it's something you've done probably better than most of the things you do. It's uh, it's kind of like um, mindlessly therapeutic, beating on a pile of dough. Mm. Mustingly what? I said it's mild. It's it's 
It's mildly therapeutic. You beat on some dough and mindlessly therapeutic, I said. Yeah, well, that's that's the way it goes, but you have to have that commitment to it. And for most things in our lives, they don't really matter all that much for the finer points, but you really do with this. You, no, with bread, you have to be. Bread. You absolutely have to be. I wouldn't even attempt bread, although I'm going to attempt it because uh, I'm going to follow that recipe very well. I'm going to follow that recipe about as well as I ever follow a recipe. Today, Tom, in the annals of food writing, you have Jonathan Brillant Savarin, the physician and author of The Physiology of Taste. Do you remember him, born in 1755? I don't remember from that date uh, particularly, but uh, I do know what the... What the uh, References? Yeah. Mm-hmm. His, according to this, you have his witty, appreciative time, tome was the first modern book on the subject of fine cuisine and dining and remains definitive. His most, his most famous quotation was, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's, I remember that one well. Well, so I guess the adaptation, you are what you eat, came from there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what they told me, and uh, I'll check in on it. Yeah, I don't know who they is. Also, a dessert without cheese is like a beautiful woman with only one eye. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of chefs who would say a a a, 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 a what 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 a, a dessert wait a, a a dessert without cheese is like a beautiful woman with only one eye. To me, uh, the cheese doesn't even belong there. As dessert? No, you you have the dessert and then you the the cheese comes later. A cheese course, yeah. You like the idea of a cheese course at the end of a meal. Yeah. Why is that? Why do you think? Uh, there's just something about it that, that gets in there and gives it a certain substantial quality that seems to me more interesting for everything else that's been there. So finishing of a meal. Mm-hmm. He also had another quote, the discovery of a new dish does more for the happiness of the human race than the discovery of a star. <laughs> It's a man after your own heart, Tom. You know who uh, is has been uh, accused of that? Warren LaRuth. What, thinking like that? or Yeah, well, it sounds like all three of you could uh, could definitely be yeah. along the same line. He could, yeah. Uh, but uh, he, he said that once, and he told me where he got it from, and he, he said it's, it actually comes from an article someone I saw write using a lot of venison. Every time I say that, I goof it up. Uh, uh, um, Vanilla. Ah, okay. I wouldn't have guessed that. Go ahead. Uh, Just when you needed it. Yeah, and and you said he wrote a book on the subject. Who's who's the he? Uh, The author, I'm sorry to tell you, I don't have in my brain. Yeah. But uh, he was French and... I'm straining for... Uh, yeah. Okay, let's move on. So, Rusty Staub was born in New Orleans today in 1944. Blue Jay. Blue Jay. I know. I know. And uh, he moved to uh, New York, play, played for the Astros, then the Expos, moved to New York, and was adopted by Mets fans. He was popular enough that he opened Rusty's. Do you remember Rusty's? It was, I think it was on Central Park South, wasn't it? It was right in the middle of the world, and I did go there on two occasions. He, he was really into wine, 
he was just a, a, a maniac on the subject of wine, and he had quite a good wine uh, cellar. Uh, he was a very nice guy. I had him once on the program a long time ago. Um, if I remember correctly, we were in New York. Last time I was in New York, I can't believe this. Last time I was in New York, I think, was 2009. And prior to that was 2001. Actually, no, that's not true. The last time I was in New York was 2015. And then before that, 2009. Um, and one of those trips, we passed by Rusty's, which I do believe was at one time on Central Park South, with prime real estate location. I, I wonder why he closed it after only 21 years. I think he had a health problem. I'm not positive, but I think that's what it was. Yeah, so Rusty Staub passed away in 2018 in West Palm Beach, Florida. So that probably is why he closed the restaurant. But it looked like it was, I mean, 21 years, that's a pretty good run, you know? Yeah, he had a, he had a pretty good deal. Did you go to the restaurant? I, we didn't. I had dinner there twice, and he, as I say, he was on the show with me once. Okay, so it was good. Was it? So I guess it was a really good representation of Cajun food. Uh, terrific. He didn't really do that. It was sort of French-American. Uh, he, he wasn't into the Cajun stuff so much, but you can get into it if you order as much as they used to do. And, and he really knew his stuff. Okay, Ina Feel for sure. Uh, another quote by... Um, by uh, Jonathan Briand-Savarin, uh, Burgundy makes you think of silly things, Bordeaux makes you talk of them, and Champagne makes you do them. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. Well, I don't know. I, uh, I would not think, actually, that Champagne has that much power. Well, uh, it has been known to do so, and so you're just stuck with it. That's all. Well, I, I definitely do drink a lot of champagne. I mean, as much as I drink anything, but um, but I don't, generally speaking, uh, lose my head too much. Uh, there's another quote, Words to Eat, by William Harvey, a British physician born today in 1578. Very famous. Ex, you know what it is? Vo omnia. Yeah. Okay. The rim is paradise or something like that. Everything from an egg. Everything from an egg. Everything from an egg. Ex ovo omnia. Everything from an egg. Yes. William William Harvey. Anyway, this is the feast of Saint Hugh, the patron saint of Grenoble in France. A dish noted as being the Grenoble style all almost always includes capers. It's also where the potent chartreuse liquor comes from. St. Hugh donated the land on which Chartreuse Abbey, where the potent beverage originated, was built. Perhaps this explains why St. Hugh is also a patron saint of headache sufferers. Mm. I've never even heard of that, Tom. What is that? What is the dish? Well, the dish is, and a lot of the dishes that you would get from that, uh, from Grenoble, would include things like uh, interior uh well, capers is what you have. Capers, yeah. one of my favorite well, things. Uh, if you see something that is served a la Grenoble, this means that they have gone all in there and the uh, capers and all of that. But that that brought home the, the kidneys and the sweetbreads, and I used to get them every time I'd run into them. 
Oh, I see. So it's like, uh, it's like, um, it's for real gourmets when you start dealing with the organs and things like that. Right. Yeah. Not everybody goes for them. I like them. Not everybody goes for that. I would definitely be among that group of people that not everyone goes for. I'm going to read a little bit about sourdough as we close out this, um, this particular episode. Sourdough is to San Francisco what New Orleans-style French bread is to our town. It's served everywhere. A local flavor is desired. It's an interesting product. The making of sourdough begins with a mixture of flour and water set out in the open to capture free-floating yeasts from the air. San Francisco is supposed to have the best airborne yeast in the world, but that has never been proven. The yeast begin leavening the starter dough and multiplying. More flour and water are added, as well as milk and sometimes sugar or potato starch. When enough active starter is made, some or all of it goes into a batch of bread flour, where over a period of hours it leavens the dough. Most of that gets baked into bread, but some of it is kept unbaked to continue feeding the yeast. That's used to make the next day's batch of sourdough bread, and on and on, and the process is repeated. Longtime San Francisco bakers claim that their sourdough starter has been developing this way continuously for decades. All the above is the original artisan method of making sourdough. In actual practice, most bakers of sourdough also use a commercial's baker yeast to help the process along. They say it improves the taste, but the purists call this a shortcut. It's great bread no matter how you slice it. True. Absolutely one of my favorites. Anyway, that ends the podcast for April 1st. Happy April Fool's Day to you, Tom, particularly because I know how you love it. You, did you pick on the the best of them, of the? Well, we you mean today for the nomenu.com? No, it, it actually happened quite a few years ago. Are we talking about the uh, the um, gondolas again? No. Oh, okay. Well, can you can you do it in ten seconds? Uh, probably not. But it, it involved uh, Ella Brennan, and she wound up getting suckered into one of the few times that ever happened to you. I sh- I can assure you. I can assure you. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, but uh, I, I fooled her into something along these lines. Mm. And do you have, like, just a minute you can tell us what it was? Yeah, uh, in just a minute, uh, what came out of my, my mind was this. Hey, I hear that you're giving away garlic bread on the, in the neutral ground over on St. Charles Avenue. Turns out they were, in fact, giving away garlic butter bread with garlic and parmesan. Was that because of the, that was because of the uh... put them up to it, <laughs> and uh, and they went along with it. That was the funniest part of it, because then they they put posts at all of the inter, uh, intersections, and they were hauling these things all around the city. And there's Ella Brennan with <laughs> loaves and loaves of bread. That sounds like something they would get into. They do like their fun. They have certainly, they've been one of the more fun ones in this whole situation. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of Tom Foodery. I can tell you. Tune in next time. Uh, Okay.